We are picking up in Luke chapter 12. Jesus has been teaching about what it means to be his disciple. He's given instructions. He's given them warnings. He's prepared them for what will come, both the ups and the downs of living life as a Christian. And in the middle of all of this, a man calls out and says to Jesus, Hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And you'll remember that Jesus does not directly address that concern about an inheritance, but he addresses the heart issue that's going on by telling a parable. And it's a parable about a man who, in his incredible wealth, forgets about God and fails to live in light of eternity and fails to see that everything he has is a gift and fails to use his resource to help others, and in the end, he's judged. Now, I share all of that background information because that's important for where we are going this morning, because if you note, Jesus, in verse 22, tells his disciples, therefore, I tell you. And you might remember from middle school grammar or middle school, if you See a therefore, you have to go back and see what it's there for. Jesus is connecting, he's reaching back, connecting with what he has just told his disciples about the dangers of either covetousness and wanting more because we don't have, or covetousness, finding our identity and our security and our peace in what we have. Jesus is using that now to springboard off of that to communicate This next command, which is, do not be anxious. Jesus turns and he addresses the root issue here of covetousness. Really the root issue, we could go all the way back to fear of man that we saw kind of began Jesus' teaching here in this section. He says in verse 22, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. It's pretty clear, pretty straightforward, isn't it? Do not be anxious about your life. All right, we could close in prayer, give the benediction, and we could all go home. The problem is, while this command is clear, this command is not easy. In fact, well over 23 million Americans struggle, they say, with anxiety on a daily basis. Basis. Over 23 million Americans deal with anxiety on a daily basis. And I know some of, some of us in this room deal with the temptation to be anxious with some sort of frequency. And so while Jesus is clear and scripture is clear that according to Philippians chapter 4, we are not to be anxious. Following that command can be difficult. It can be difficult because anxiety is common. And how often, maybe if you deal with anxiety, do you meet other people who deal with anxiety? It's difficult because anxiety is generally excused as normal. Oh, we all deal with anxiety. Yeah, I deal with it too, almost as a way of dismissing it. And yet Jesus' instructions are clear. Do not be anxious. And so this is a command we can't just simply dismiss because it's hard or because it's uncommon. Rather, we are called as Christians, right, to follow and to obey. 
In fact, again, this section follows a broader section where Jesus teaches about what it looks like to fear God instead of fearing humanity. And we fear God or respect God or honor God by trusting him. And so our attitude about the way in which we fight anxiousness has something to do, as we will see, with our relationship with God. If we love God, we will obey his commands even when they're hard. And so how do we do that? How do we, as imperfect people in a broken world who are not yet fully like Christ, how do we battle against the temptation to be anxious? And the how is exactly what Jesus addresses here in this section that we're going to look at. Look again at verse 22. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Do not be anxious. So it might be helpful to start here at the beginning by defining our term. What is anxiety? There are lots of ways that anxiety has been defined. If you go to the American Journal on Medicine, they define it one way. If you go to Psychology Today, they define it another way. But it's important that we understand, at least biblically, how the Bible defines or describes anxiety. In the New Testament, there are two words that are combined to refer to what we have translated as anxiety. The first word is care. And the second word means to be distracted, which is why one author calls anxiety a distracting care. I think that's helpful. But when Jesus says not to be anxious about our life and about our body, does that mean that all anxiety is wrong? We just did a scan through the New Testament, for example. Outside of this narrative, the same word, translated anxiety in your Bible, is used several other places in the New Testament. For example, it's used in Luke 10.41. Jesus is at the home of Mary and Martha. Martha's sitting there listening to Jesus, receiving the teaching. Mary's running around, sweating, anxious, you know, brow furrowed probably. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha. You are anxious about many things. And Jesus is calling Martha out of her anxiousness into rest that only he can provide. And the same word shows up a little bit later in Luke chapter 12, verse 11, a section we just looked at a few weeks back. Jesus is telling his disciples that they should be prepared for suffering. They should be prepared to be called in to give an account for their faith, that not everyone will be glad and rejoice that you are a Christian. And in those moments when you are called before the council, called before the court, called in to give an account for your faith in front of what is likely a hostile audience, you should not be anxious about what you are to say because the Holy Spirit will give you, will teach you in that hour what you are to say. Again, Jesus is calling his followers out of anxiousness into greater levels of trust and faith. The word is also used in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 
Paul uses this word when he talks about the benefits of singleness. Because he writes, a married person is anxious about how to please their spouse. Whereas a single person, Paul says, is anxious about how to serve the Lord. So notice, anxiety is used both as something we should not be engaged in and something that can be used for good, anxiety about how to please the Lord. So anxiety and the way it's used in the New Testament may not always be a bad thing. For example, Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight that he is anxious for the churches. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells the church how much he values his young assistant Timothy because he writes, Timothy is anxious for the welfare of the church. It's Philippians chapter 2, and yet in Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes and says, do not be anxious about anything. So what are we to make of all of that? This is where defining anxiety can be a bit tricky. We have clear instruction from the word, do not be anxious. And yet at the same time, we have examples of people being anxious for good things. And their anxiety is even praised in the Bible. A couple of helpful questions to ask when we're dealing with anxiousness or anxiety. The first one is this, what What am I concerned or anxious about? I think if you survey the Bible's teaching on being anxious or anxiety, the only times anxiousness is actually held out as a virtue is when the anxiety is connected to a a concern or a distraction for the things of kingdom value. The church of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mission of the Lord to the world. It seems to be, if we were to jump all the way to the very last verse that we're going to look at this morning, there seems to be a seeking first of the kingdom of God as we seek the kingdom of God and the kingdom's cares and the kingdom's priorities and the kingdom's concerns, we should be rightly distracted by those things. Those should, should be within our gaze, right? Within the scope of what we're focusing on as humans. And yet, if you're like me, we had a pie chart of all the things that we are easily anxious about, there would be a tiny little sliver that would be those kinds of things. And the vast majority of the things that we are anxious about are not eternal kingdom related things. Which means the second question we ought to ask is how am I fighting this concern or anxiety? How am I fighting this concern or anxiety? Am I being passively controlled by my anxiety or am I actively fighting with the word of God? Am I excusing my anxiety? I'm just, I'm just an anxious person. Just got the piglet syndrome. Just always worried. Or are we declaring war against it rightly recognizing we are commanded not to be anxious? And that's our goal, that we wouldn't be passively controlled by anxiety, that we would be anxious for nothing, and that when tempted to be anxious, that our trust in God would grow as we remember his promises and as we dwell on his care 
for us. I mean, just notice the whys that Jesus gives behind this command to not be anxious. He gives several whys. Depending on how you group them, you could come up with a different number of them. For our purposes this morning, I want to I give you five of these, pointing them out from Scripture that Jesus gives. Five reasons that we are not to be anxious according to Scripture. And then we'll come around at the end and we'll talk about fighting anxiety. First, do not be anxious because there is something more important than food and clothing. Verse 23, for life is more than food. And the body more than clothing. Again, Jesus is giving his his argument for why we should not be anxious. He says in verse 22, do not be anxious. Verse 23, for or because. This is his apologetic. Do not be anxious because life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Like food and clothing are good things. Or things we, we should pay attention to. We should give time and attention to. But they are not ultimate things. And our concern for them can rise to the measure, to the level where it becomes sinful, where it becomes anxiety. When we are no longer trusting the Lord as our provider, when we're no longer keeping that in the right sphere as a, as a temporary thing, as not a kingdom thing, not an eternal thing. When we act as though it all depends on us. You might not deal with anxiety about what you wear, but isn't it true that what we wear can occupy so much of our time and attention? How we look, how we'll be seen by others. It can become a distracting care that keeps us from more ultimate things like people and the work of the gospel and the fellowship of the church. It's as though Jesus were really saying, are you going to mess around, be consumed by food and clothes when you have been given an eternal kingdom? Second, Jesus says, do not be anxious. Why? Because God is your provider. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Do not be anxious because God is your provider, because God has it covered. Jesus says to these people who are gathered, likely many of them consumed with anxiety, just as we are today, and Jesus looking out says to them, think about the birds for a minute, the birds that you can see, the birds that you can hear. You don't see them building storehouses like like the man in the parable I just told you, no. And yet, how are they fed? They're fed because God feeds them. And you are of more value than the birds. This is a reminder, church, that at the core for the Christian, worry is not first a psychological problem. Worry is first a theological problem. Now, that is not to say there are not the, or philosoph- or psychological realities. There sometimes are psychological and physical realities to our fear and our worry and our anxiety. But is, it is to say that at the first place we ought to go when we are tempted to be anxious is to the Lord. 
Because it is first a theological concern. What am I believing about the Lord? What am I believing about his sufficiency? What am I believing about his goodness? Are we taking on things ourselves over which we have no control or very little control? Over things over which God has complete control. I think that may be why sometimes we, we often struggle with anxiety the most at nighttime. We're most tempted to be anxious. Why? Because the world is quiet. Because we're supposed to be resting. Because we can feel better if we can actually do something, contribute something. But when we have to actually trust in the Lord, it's tough. And why do you think anxiety and sleeplessness are so often connected? Because what's the one time in our lives when we are most not in control? When we're sleeping. We can't let go of that control can't truly trust that God is in control. Third, Jesus says, do not be anxious because anxiety or anxiousness is pointless. Verse 25, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If you then are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? I, I love those two verses because you almost get a hint of, of maybe a little bit of sarcasm there. And since sarcasm is one of my spiritual gifts, I sometimes can go wrong. But I, I love, Jesus is saying, okay, let's talk about your anxiousness for a moment. Has it actually added even an hour to your life? And if you are not able to do even as small a thing as that, adding an hour to your life, then why are you anxious about the rest? We see the gentle, kind compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ, a reminder of how ultimately we are in control of so very little in our life. I remember when I was in middle school, I desperately wanted to be seven foot one inches tall. You might think, well, that's really specific, seven foot one inches tall. Well, why? Well, obviously, it's because Shaquille O'Neal is seven foot one inches tall. And so I'd stretch and I'd hang from the pull-up bar and I'd hold on to the bed frame and my little brother would pull my legs. I even, I even bought it at like MC Sporting Goods back when they were still in business, I guess. I, I bought a size 14 pair of basketball shoes, convinced that I was going to grow into them as a sixth grader because I'm going to be seven foot one one day. It was great. That was a name it, claim it theology right there. As you can tell, it didn't work. I didn't even quite reach six foot. The point Jesus is making is similar, right? What good is your anxiety, your inordinate worry and concern over things over which you have virtually no control? What have you changed because of your anxiety? Nothing, Jesus says. That's right, because you can't even add an hour to your span of life by being anxious about it. Then why, Jesus says, are you anxious at all? And that's hard, especially for those of us who battle the temptation to be anxious. Again, anxiety is first theological. The point here being God is in control. He's got your life in his hands. Fourth, Jesus says, do not be anxious because God's provision is 
glorious. Look at verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So Solomon was the richest man in all of Scripture, likely the richest man, perhaps, that has ever lived. Solomon lived in a day and a time, unlike today, where the truly rich loved to show off their richness by what they wore. And Jesus says, and yet Solomon, even the richest man who had the greatest clothes allowance available and who had the greatest wealth possible to be able to clothe himself, He does not, in all of his work, in all of his riches, in all of his labor, even compare to the little lilies that grow by the millions that God clothes. The lilies that are here today and tomorrow are cut down, are gone, are burned up, are hit with a lawnmower, are hit with Roundup. They disappear. And if God so clothes the flowers of the field more beautifully than Solomon clothed himself, how much more will he clothe you? This is an argument about God's capability, about his capacity to meet our needs. To not just kind of scrape by or whip up something like you try to do at the end of the week with leftovers and you're trying to pull stuff out of the refrigerator. But God's ability to lavishly provide for his own. God's provision is glorious. The flowers of the field, the flowers that we see on the roadside, the flowers I noticed that the janitors forgot to put back in front that are here, are more beautiful than anything we could compare to, right? Anything we could contribute to on our own. The point being, Jesus says, look at what God does. Which leads to our fifth reason Fifth, do not be anxious because you have a faithful father. Verse 29, this is really another command, but it fits along under kind of the umbrella command in verse 22 of don't be anxious. Verse 29, and do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For or because all the nations of the world seek after these things, And your father knows that you need them. So there's a juxtaposition here. Don't seek after these things. Don't be worried, stressed, anxious about all of these things over here that are not kingdom-related, eternally-related things. Because the world seeks after those things. The people that don't have God as their father, they worry and stress and are anxious about those things. There's a contrast being made here. The point is, you, church, you, disciples, you have a father. I mean, just notice the word there in verse 30. Your father knows that you need them. I love that. Jesus doesn't just say, the father knows that you need them. He says, your father. Your Abba, your daddy knows what you need. And he is capable And he is sufficient 
to provide what you need. If we add that to what Jesus says at the end of verse 28 about a little, about little faith, the message is clear. Anxiousness is related to faith. Now again, it doesn't mean that if you just have enough faith, you'll never deal with anxiety. You'll never, de- never deal with inordinate fear or worry. Because we're embodied souls. We're soul and body. And it doesn't mean that some of us won't spend our remaining lives, remaining years here on this earth, battling against the temptation to be anxious or fighting for the peace that comes from the Lord. We're not yet home. We're not yet fully sanctified. We're not yet eternally glorified. But what it does mean is that the very first step in addressing the temptation to be anxious is to immediately reflect on the character and the promises of our Father. Like, why is it that so many of us stress and are anxious as though we were orphans? As though we were fatherless. Or as though our Father were powerless. We have a Father. If you are a Christian here today, which means you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sin... You are resting in his finished work on the cross and in the empty tomb as your salvation, as your forgiveness of sin, as your reconciliation back to the God who made you. And if that's you this morning, then you are a Christian and you're seeking to walk with the Lord, which means you have God as your father. And if that's not you this morning, let me ask you why not? Let me call you to trust in Jesus this morning, to turn and believe in Jesus Christ, the holy son of God who lived without sin and died on the cross in the place of all who believe. You might be forgiven. You might be adopted into God's glorious family. You might have God as your father. What are we worried about today? What tempts you to be anxious? What worries does your mind wander to like a hundred times each day? Brothers and sisters, your father knows your needs. Even when you're awake alone in the middle of the night and you feel so lonely and it feels like all the world around you is resting in peaceful sleep, Friend, you are not alone. The good Father knows and He cares. And He calls to us to cast all of our concerns and all of our cares on the Lord. And sometimes that's a a repeated thing, an over and over again thing. Sometimes that doesn't immediately make us feel differently subjectively in the moment. Jesus gives the instead here at the end, so do not be anxious, verse 22. Instead, verse 31, instead seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So put off anxiousness and put on kingdom seeking. What does that mean? What is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is the area or the realm of all who trust in Jesus, all who honor Jesus. 
God as the rightful king. And yes, we could say that God is in control of all things. That is true. But the kingdom of God is a spiritual, unseen kingdom made up of all those who pledge allegiance to God. So what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? It means to prioritize the things of God. It means to seek to please God and honor God and love God and enjoy God over every other pleasure and over every other desire. It means setting our thoughts and our hearts on God and his values and his priorities as the supreme priority and the supreme treasure of our lives. I think, well, aren't we supposed to be concerned about food? So, so you're saying don't be anxious. The Bible says, Jesus says, don't be anxious about what we will eat. Does that mean we just kind of blindly go through our days not concerned at all about what we eat, just hoping food will magically appear in the refrigerator? Well, no. When we look at the balance, the totality of the teaching of Scripture, we see that work is a good thing. We see that we are called to care for and provide for our families. We see that we have natural responsibilities as human beings in this world. We're to take care of our bodies. But when a healthy concern rises to the place of of unhealthy or sinful anxiety is when it begins to become bigger than a kingdom reality. When it crosses the threshold and all of a sudden we begin to be more concerned about that than we are the things of God. Or we forget that ultimately while we work, yes, and while we save, yes, and while we go to Kroger, yes, it's ultimately God that is our provider. And the promise here from Jesus is that as we seek the Father's kingdom, he will take care of the rest. Does that mean that Every Christian who seeks the kingdom will never be without food or clothes or shelter? No. There have been and there are Christians around the world who seek God's kingdom and still suffer lack in this life. Just as there are Christians who face persecution, face face suffering and sickness and loss. This is not a promise about material security. As though somehow that were the most important reality, that we just always have the, the right food and have food on our table and have the right clothes and have clothes to wear. But Jesus is saying there's a, there's a bigger reality. Seek those realities and then everything else will fall into its proper place. This is a promise that as we seek the things of God, he will give us that which we need to faithfully walk with him until we get home. And it means that as we seek him more and more, our priorities begin to shift. Our ability to endure begins to grow. We're able to find joy and contentment in the midst of any circumstance because the roots run deep into the nourishing soil of God's kingdom. We're like cacti in the wilderness, in the desert. We draw up joy even though the visual landscape of our lives seems barren. And this is why Paul, who knew about suffering and who knew about lack, could write thanking the Philippian church for their gift and telling them, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
Because he can truly believe, because he's truly experienced that God is sufficient to provide every single kingdom priority, every single eternal need for his people. So, I want to finish this morning by offering some applications for fighting anxiousness. There's probably lots more questions. We're going to look at the second part of this text, Lord willing, next week. Pastor Nick Runlett's going to preach verses 32 through 34. But I want to finish this time by offering some applications for fighting anxiety, fighting anxiousness, and kind of build on these truths. And I'm not going to commentate a lot on each one, but just try to give you arrows as you go to battle against the temptation to be anxious. First, this is obvious, this is really practical, but there are really good resources available in the Sword and Trial. There's a 31-day devotional on anxiousness and anxiety that's fantastic. I've done it. It's really helpful. There's lots of other resources back there. Go back there, talk to someone at the Sword and Trial who's working back there. They'd love to talk to you about it. Maybe even if you see Pastor Nick Runlet in the hallway, uh, he'll be back there. He's back there as well, curating that and he can give you some resources. Secondly, remember, remember that anxiousness may be a part of the Christian life that we never stop battling. Or to put it another way, you may never reach a point in your life as a Christian in this life where you never have to battle anxiety or fear or worry. I think that's helpful for us to remember because sometimes we have a, an over-realized eschatology, which simply means eschatology, the study of last things. We think about how things will be one day in glory with Jesus, and we over-realize that now. Right? We want to claim those promises now. And, we, and so if you've walked with the Lord for 15, 25, 55, whatever, years, and you think, why am I still battling anxiety. I thought I were a Christian. I thought I should be more spiritually mature than this. We are never promised an end to the battle in this life now. We just aren't. Which is helpful and I think encouraging when we do face temptations, whether it's to anxiety or other sorts of temptations. To be reminded This may be how it is until glory. And yet, God is working even in this, these light and momentary afflictions, which sometimes seem anything but light or momentary, are working, according to Scripture, in eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's as though Paul were saying, listen, church, just trust that even in your battle against sin, even in your battle against Anxiety. It will be worth it. Third, when you start to feel anxious, stop and ask why. Stop and ask why. And channel your inner four-year-old, right? Why? Why? Anxiety does not go away on its own. In fact, a, a phrase that is oftentimes used nowadays by people more and more is the phrase, no worries, right? Someone texts you, hey, I'm running late. You shoot back, no worries. Has that ever made anyone worry less? Think, no worries, or just chill, just chill, man. No, it has to be addressed. 
So we have to ask, is this sinful anxiety or is this a natural concern? There are different kinds of anxiety. There's the faithless kind that we've talked about. There's also sometimes functional idolatry. Zechariah, one of our interns, helped point this out to me this week. Where there are good things and good desires, but they rise to the level. It's kind of what we talked about earlier. They rise and they get so big it becomes an idol. It's a, it's a concern that we should have, a care that we should have, but it grows beyond the place where it should be and grows so large that now it becomes an idol. And now we're filled with anxiety and our anxiety, the root of that is that we are overly concerned about this thing that we should be very little concerned about. We should stop and ask why. Fourth, create a care list and turn it into a prayer list. If you read through Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, with supplication, present your request to God and the peace of God, or with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Scripture tells us that when we were tempted to be anxious, we should take it to the Lord. Sometimes it's helpful just to begin to write it down. These are the things I'm anxious about. These are the things I'm tempted to be worried about right now. And then spend some time with your open Bible going through, okay, what does God's word say about this thing and about this thing and about this thing? And I don't mean taking verses out of context, but I mean applying the medicine of God's word the cares and concerns of our anxious hearts. Fifth, move from the passive to the active. We are embodied souls. We, we're soul and body, which means we have feelings and we have emotions, and some of them will be godly and some of them will be godless. And so when we feel anxiety welling up within us, and we know that we're called to cast all of our burdens on the Lord, then we should cast all of our burdens on the Lord. We should move beyond the passive state of being led by our feelings to the active state of taking every thought and every emotion captive. We should move from passive to active, to actively trusting in the Lord. Like, Where do we go? What, what do we do? I just sit and worry. Okay, that's passive. How could it be active? I could cast all my cares on the Lord. I could begin to write down that which I know to be true about God from his word. I begin to reflect on the kindness and the grace and the compassion of our good father. I mean, that's what David does. That's why the Psalms are so helpful as we battle the temptation to be anxious. David writes in Psalm 21, I lift, 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He's reminding himself in the midst of fear, in the midst of worry, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, and he is the maker. He is the sustainer. He is the ruler, the creator of all things. And David this man who, who was hunted down, right? So often he's writing these psalms while he is being chased and sought out by you know, the, the intelligence division within King Saul's empire with the infantry shortly behind. 
He's running for fear of his life. And yet he can write Psalm 3.5, I lay down and slept. I awoke again for the Lord sustained me. I've never been hunted down. Never had a whole army chasing me, trying to kill me. The kingdom after me. But I've lost sleep for lesser things. David goes to the Lord. Again, does that mean that instantly everything will be okay? No. We are mind and body. There are physical dimensions to who we are. And there are spiritual dimensions to who we are. And yet we are called to go where David goes as Christians first. Psalm 4, 8, which has been such a help for me over the years. In peace I will both lay down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. In peace I will both lay down and sleep. Why? Because you, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Two more quick ones. Sixth, battle from the solid ground of the gospel. Friend, listen to me carefully. If you are one of the many who deal with anxiety, that does not mean you are not a true Christian. It does not mean you are somehow deficient in your walk with the Lord. It may be a call to greater faith, yes. It may be a call to greater trust, to grow in our confidence in Him. It it may be those things. A friend, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ. So whether we reach out and we are receiving that saving faith with a a strong, healthy hand or we are reaching out with a worry-filled, weak hand, it is ultimately the gift of saving grace. It's the gift of Jesus Christ that saves You are no more loved by God and no less loved by God depending on where you are in your battle with worry. Finally, we should remember that God's commands and his spirit are for our good. Just in case we think, well, I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and so that's who I am. Just going to end there, like stop, just filled with worry. No. God's commands are for our good. Even the battle that we are called to in this regard is forging in us greater Christ-likeness and greater dependence on him and a greater longing to see him and a greater reservoir for joy when we see him face to face when at last our battle with anxiety is over. Forever. Can you imagine? Maybe you can't. Like, maybe so much of your life is consumed with fighting against anxiety. You can't even imagine. Friend, God gave us imaginations 
for these kinds of exercises that we would seek to imagine a day when our battle with fear and worry and anxiety is no more. Forever the perfect peace of the Lord Jesus Christ reigns in our hearts. We are called now through the power of his Holy Spirit to seek faithfully, to follow in light of that day when we will see Jesus face to face. Would you stand with me? Let's pray.